Are you looking for ways to strengthen your marriage? Would you like to raise children you enjoy being around? Do you long for a peaceful, orderly home that's a blessing to everyone who comes through its doors? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Jennifer Flanders, a Bible-believing, homeschooling mother to 12 and host of the Loving Life at Home podcast. Join me as we discover what God's Word has to say about marriage, motherhood, and minding the things that matter most. Hello, friend, and welcome to episode 31 of Loving Life at Home. Valentine's is only a couple of days away now, and everything is coming up hearts and roses, which makes today the perfect time to discuss loving your husband and what exactly God's kind of love should look like in the context of marriage. Now, I've written extensively on this topic in my books and blog, so I'll link a few of those resources in today's show notes, and you can check those out for more biblical encouragement. But for today's discussion, I want to begin by noting there are four different words used for love in the Greek New Testament. One is storge, which describes familial love like that a mother has for her child. Another is eros, which is romantic or passionate sexual love. Yet another Greek word for love is philia or phileo. That describes brotherly affection as between equals or friends. And last but not least is agape, which is the word the Bible uses to denote the kind of divine sacrificial love that God has for us. Interestingly, in Titus 2, 3 through 5, when older women are commanded to teach the younger women to love their husbands and love their children, the root of the words translated love in both instances is philia, and that kind of warm affection and thoughtfulness is a key ingredient for building a happy home and a bonded family, to be sure. But when Jesus calls all of us to love your neighbor as yourself, and when he proclaims his, I have loved you so you should love one another, the word he uses for love is agape. Agape is also the word used throughout 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, which is what I'd like for us to go through today. But as we do, I'd encourage you to consider Consider whether or not you are living up to this description. Satan may tempt you to dwell on all the ways that you feel your husband is falling short in this department, but don't let your mind go there. We need to remove the plank from our own eye before addressing the speck that is in our brother's eye or in the eye of our spouse, as the case may be. And 1 Corinthians 13 gives us ample opportunity to identify those planks. It teaches us the following truths about love. First is, love gives substance to our words. Verse 1 reads, If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Without love, our words are hollow. They're empty. They're devoid of meaning. If this passage had been written in the 21st century, it might read, if I'm all smiles and sugar and speak glowing praise for my spouse in social media posts and reels, but I treat him with contempt when I'm offline and the cameras are no longer rolling, then the very sound of my voice or the sight of my Instagram feed becomes intensely irritating and painful. I can tell my husband I love you all I want, but unless my actions underscore and support my words, he'll have a hard time believing that I speak the truth. The second point is that love gives meaning to our beliefs. 1 Corinthians 13.2 reads, And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, 
I am nothing. A modern-day application of this verse might be, if I have a shelf full of marriage books and have read and understand them all, and if I have full faith in God's ability to transform my marriage into the one flesh union He intended it to be, but I never bother to cultivate the kind of love He calls me to demonstrate, then I'm completely wasting my time. James 2.17 declares faith without works is dead. And 1 Corinthians 8.1 tells us knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The Living Bible translates that last verse, while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. And it's also love that strengthens our marriage. The third point is love gives purpose to our sacrifice. That third verse of 1 Corinthians 13 reads, And if I give my possessions to feed the poor and I deliver my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Let that sink in. Sacrificial service apart from love does not profit. You can wash dishes and cook meals and clean house and fold laundry all day every day, and you can get up every hour on the hour all night long to nurse babies and care for sick children and check on elderly parents, but if you grouse and grumble and complain about these tasks instead of doing them from a heart filled with love and compassion, then you are missing out on the joy that God intends for you to take in serving others. When it comes to sacrificial love, Jesus sets the standard, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what Hebrews 12, 2 tells us. That old acrostic that spells joy, Jesus, others, and you got it right. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, we read in Mark 10, 45. And in John 13, 14, Jesus bids us to follow his example. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also should wash one another's feet. Which brings us to the next point. Four, love improves our behavior towards others. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 tells us love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Back when we were first married and living on a shoestring budget, my husband asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and I suggested he give me a pretty Christmas ornament. I knew that he could get a really nice one at Hobby Lobby for 2 or $3, especially if he used one of those 40% off coupons that they used to publish weekly in the Sunday paper. But instead, Doug went to Hallmark and paid paid 10 times that price for a Precious Moments collector's ornament, and he has continued to do the same thing every Christmas since. So now, 36 years worth of those sweet little porcelain ornaments can and do fill their own Christmas tree, a little slimline tree that I put up in the corner of our bedroom every year. And it looks so pretty there that I really hate taking it down once Christmas is over, so this year I didn't. Instead, I swapped out those Precious Moments ornaments for a bunch of red and white hearts and have been enjoying a Valentine's tree the past few weeks. Most of the hard ornaments that kids and I made in the past, but I've added some cute little paper hearts with the words of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 on them. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous, etc. They serve as a beautiful reminder that true love affects the way we treat others. It improves our behavior towards one another. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, It is by our love that everybody will know we are His disciples. 
That kind of love is demonstrable in the way that we treat those around us, and the same is true within marriage. When I treat my husband with patience, kindness, and admiration, I'm demonstrating the fact that I love him. Such virtues are characteristic of love. But the contrapositive is also true. If I'm impatient or unkind towards my husband, it's evidence that I do not love him, at least not in the way that Jesus calls me to love in this passage and many others. So take inventory. Are you behaving in a loving way towards your spouse or in a way that indicates that you don't really love him? If your interactions are marked by impatience or frustrated annoyance, if you snap at him irritably or act put out with him or use your words to tear him down or ridicule him, then you are in sin and you need to repent. And in God's strength and through his empowering grace, bring your behavior into line with what the Bible says is characteristic of love, including our next point. Five, love is rooted in humility. Verse 4 continues, love does not brag and is not arrogant. Pride and arrogance are the polar opposites of love and compassion. Pride is inwardly focused. It's self-centered, self-promoting, self-absorbed, and selfishly motivated. But love is outwardly focused. It concerns itself with the welfare and well-being of others. That's why Paul admonishes us, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. That's Philippians 2, 1 through 4 which dovetails nicely with my next point. Six, love puts others first. Verse 5 tells us love does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love doesn't harbor grudges or nurse resentments. It never gives bitterness an opportunity to take root. Love doesn't turn a cold shoulder or subject anyone to the silent treatment. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't keep score, nor is it easily offended. Love forgives freely. Can the same thing be said of you and the way you relate to your husband? How many marriages have been destroyed by a bitter and unforgiving spirit? Then the seventh point is love alters the way we think. In 1 Corinthians 13, 6, we learn that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Have you ever been around someone who is given to gossip? They seem to take great delight in airing the shortcomings of others. They can't seem to be happy unless they're stabbing somebody in the back and clicking their tongues and raising their eyebrows at the moral failure of another person. Sadly, I've known women who every time they get together... It is to malign their husbands and try to outdo one another with stories of whatever stupid or idiotic thing he did last. I'm not talking about a wife who is trying to deal with a serious failure on the part of her spouse and is seeking the help of an advisor or discreetly asking a trusted friend for counsel and prayer. I definitely believe there's a place for that in grave situations. 
Rather, I'm talking about a woman who takes pleasure in airing her husband's dirty laundry and ridiculing him in front of her friends or making him out to be an idiot or a buffoon and seeking attention and sympathy from others at his expense. This kind of woman would be disappointed if her husband's behavior actually changed because then she'd have nothing to grouse about behind his back. That's what it means to rejoice in unrighteousness. Love doesn't do that. Instead, love covers a multitude of sin, according to to 1 Peter 4.8, rejoicing in the truth means taking pleasure in the opposite of unrighteousness. It means that love delights in virtue and faith and goodness. It builds up and encourages and shares the good things instead of highlighting the bad. Love focuses its attention and dwells on whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy, as Philippians 4.8 instructs all of us to do. Then, my eighth point is that love endures to the very end. True love never stops loving. 1 Corinthians 13, 7-9 bears out this fact. It tells us that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial would be done away. So love keeps on loving. Love perseveres, whether it is ever reciprocated or not. Don't wait until your spouse loves you with the love of Christ before offering such love to him. Jesus commands you to love your neighbor as yourself, and you will one day answer to him concerning how faithfully you followed that command and example. You can't make your personal obedience contingent on somebody else's performance. God doesn't give partial credit for good intentions telling him, well, I would have loved my husband the way you commanded if he had shown me that kind of love first, but he didn't. So I guess that means I'm off the hook, right? Wrong. Then the ninth point is love ultimately leads to more intimate understanding. Paul wraps up this great chapter with 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 13. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. For now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Isn't that the kind of love we should all aspire to cultivate towards our husbands, not just on Valentine's Day, but every day of the year? When I was in high school, I dated a boy who would go all out for Valentine's Day. Balloon bouquets, long-stemmed red roses, boxes of chocolate, candlelit dinners— Every day for a week, some grand new token of his affection would be delivered to my doorstep. But then, Valentine's would be over, and that would be that. Two years older and away at college, he would go entire semesters without so much as a phone call or a postcard. That stark contrast gave me a little bit of a jaded view towards all things Cupid. In my mind, Valentine's Day is just window dressing. It's a public display that may or may not accurately represent what is truly stored up in one's heart. Our most telling declarations of love are not made on February 14th. They're made in the days and weeks and months that follow. When my husband brings 
brings home heart-shaped candy boxes and fancy flowers this time of year, I know that it's at least partially because he knows the nurses at the hospital are going to quiz him about what he got me. But when he brings me hot tea when I'm sick, or unloads the dishwasher for me when I'm busy, or runs my bath water when I'm tired, or makes a list at work of things he wants to tell me when he gets home, he's not doing any of that for show. Nobody will ever ask him about it. He does those things purely because he loves me and takes pleasure in demonstrating that fact to me in practical, everyday ways. And I love that about him. Wives can be just as guilty as men of pouring so much thought and energy into a single day that little is left over for later. So if you enjoy an extra special evening of romance with your husband on the 14th, terrific. But don't expect that single interlude to carry him over until next Valentine's Day or even until next week. Sometimes when a wife breaks out the candles, perfume, background music, and lacy negligee, she's tempted afterwards to think, wow, I really outdid myself tonight. That should tide my husband over for at least a week or two. Meanwhile, her husband is thinking, wow, that was great. We need to do that more often. How about tomorrow? Many wives want to serve sporadic samplings of gourmet delicacies when most husbands would be far more satisfied with a steady diet of meat and potatoes. So I'll end this week's podcast with a plea for perseverance. If you kindle some sparks during your Valentine celebrations this week, then fan it into a flame and keep it burning all year long. Thanks so much for listening today. If you have a question you'd like to hear covered on this podcast, message me on Instagram at Flanders underscore family or contact me through my website, lovinglifeathome.com. Before you go, if you've been encouraged by something you've heard on the show, do me a favor and forward the link to a friend or head over to Loving Life at Home on Apple iTunes to subscribe and leave a written review of the show. Your doing so will help others find me so they can listen too. Until next time, I pray the Lord will bless your efforts to build a loving home life centered on Him.